them have dominion. Everyone say, have dominion. The word dominion is where we get the word dominate. Can I just tell you that you and I are meant to dominate our circumstances, not be dominated by our circumstances. You and I are meant to be conquerors. You and I are meant to be more than overcomers. Can I get an amen in here? You know, we're in a building right now where where there is air conditioning. The reason there is air conditioning is because whether we realize it or not, we there's something innate in us that recognizes that we're actually not meant to just kind of live with whatever our environment dishes out. Last week was 106 degrees outside, and I think we, we managed to get it into the 80s in here without the air conditioning, but it was still hot and humid. But but this week, it's 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 a it's a balmy 71 degrees in here, and uh, just quite lovely. But but you know most most of our inventions have come because we've, we we recognize on the inside of us that we're actually meant to overcome our environment, that we can overcome, that we can actually exercise dominion. You know, man wasn't born with wings, and yet we fly through the sky from one city to another, from one nation to another. We've conquered the oceans. We've conquered the sky. We've even put, you know, men on the moon. We've walked on the moon. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, and so, so man is meant to overcome. So you and I are meant to have dominion. You and I are meant to have dominion. But when we look at our world, when we look at San Diego, when we look at our city, we see that not everybody is aware of that. Not everybody is aware of that. And so, so a lot of people, they're, they're overcome by their circumstances. They're, they're overcome by debt. They're overcome by grief. They're overcome by anxieties. They're overcome by disorders and by issues. And, and, and they're, looking, they're looking for deliverance. They're looking for freedom. But quite often, they're looking in the wrong places. And so I've got good news for you today that, that God's will, God's intention has never changed. God's will and intention has never changed. So he says to Adam, be, you know, have dominion over the whole earth. Um, subdue the earth, be fruitful, and multiply. But when sin came, everything changed. But the only thing really that changed is instead of instead of us filling the earth, instead of mankind filling the earth with his seed, because Adam's seed had now been corrupted because of sin, God comes again in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. In other words, I still want you to fill. I still want you to be fruitful. I still want you to multiply and fill the earth. But instead of you using the corrupted seed of the first Adam, doing it naturally, I want you to use the incorruptible seed of the second Adam, which is the Word of God. Go into all the world and preach the Word of God, and you will make disciples, and I will have sons and daughters fill the earth. We've been waiting for the world to come into the church when God has been waiting for the church to go out and fill the world. Can somebody say amen? So God, God wants you and I to learn how to exercise dominion, how to exercise dominion. So I want to give you three keys this morning on on exercising dominion. In Genesis chapter 11, we just read the story of the Tower of Babel. The reason that that's a little bit of a little bit of a uh, kind of a mess is because God said, "Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth," and man kind of thought, "Yeah, not so much. Yeah, I don't think so. I think we'll just build a city right here. We like this. We like this plain in the plain of Sheena, and I think we'll build a city whose top is in the heavens, and we'll make a name for ourselves." You know, we don't really care about your name. We care about our, we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to we don't we want to look at our bad self. We're gonna have mirrors and look at ourselves in a mirror and uh, have Facebook and put posts on Facebook and and self magazine and I'm gonna star myself and you know it's all, all all very self obsessed and God says yeah that's not gonna fly and the Bible says when God came down He saw that they had one language and one speech and God's deduction of the situation was now nothing will be impossible for these people anything 
everything they propose to do because of their unity, because of their one language and one speech, nothing will be impossible. So God confused their language. I, I, I want to point out that God did not take away resources. God, they, they didn't stop building the tower because they ran out of money. They didn't stop building the tower because there was no more bricks or no more gold. Or They didn't stop building the tower because they just didn't have labor. They didn't stop building the tower because they just didn't have an architect or, or Alicia Williams as the project manager. You know, they, they didn't stop building the, the tower because, you know, they ran out of vision or insight. They stopped building the tower because of language. Because it was a language issue. It, it was, can I just tell you, whoever controls the language controls the argument. Whoever controls the language controls the argument. Language is so powerful that God confused their language in Genesis 11 in order to get His will done to have them scattered all over the earth. And then in Matthew 28, God says, listen, I want you to go into all the earth, to all the places that I've scattered. I want you to redeem. I want you to, I want you to get them born again. I want sons and daughters all over the earth. And then Jesus said this. He says, but I want you to wait. I know I've told you to go, but before you go, I need you to wait. And they said, what are we waiting for? He says, I need you to wait till you receive power. They said, oh, we're going to receive power. You're going to receive power. And they know power because they saw him walk on the water. They saw him speak to the wind and the waves. And immediately the wind and the waves obeyed him. They, they, they saw incredible miracles. The dead raised, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, cripples walking. They saw all kinds of miracles, extraordinary miracles. And so Jesus, I want you to wait in an upper room till you receive power. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and they divided unto them tongues as of fire and one arrested upon each of them and they all began to speak in tongues. They all began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit enabled them and then they went out from there and they literally turned the world upside down. Now if I was waiting for power I wouldn't be expecting to speak in a foreign language. If I'm kind of sitting there waiting for power, I wouldn't all of a sudden be, si hable espanol, un poquito solamente. I, I wouldn't kind of be expecting, I wouldn't be expecting that that was how it was going to arrive. I'd kind of be sitting there and, you know, kind of be floating up from the table or something or, zzz, zzz, you know, kind of, you know, buzzing and zapping people and, you know, like this, you know, emperor and, and what, whatever. I just, I would just expect power to be different. But God knows for, for you to have power, it's got to manifest through your mouth. I'm not sure if you understand this or whether you realize this, but, but God's power flows through His Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Come on track with me. The earth was formless, void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. Verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, verse 3, let there be light, and light was. God to create light, God to bring light into the universe, all He did was He just spoke. He, he spoke. In Genesis 11, God confuses the language to scatter them. In Acts chapter 2, God gives us languages we've never learned to go and gather them. That, that's, why, that's why speaking in tongues 
being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in languages you've never learned. It, it, it's the empowering because it, it tells us that we're meant to go to all the nations. We're meant to go to all these places. That we're meant to cry. That, that, that the Spirit of God Himself is interceding on our behalf on places that we haven't even gone to yet. All right, so I want to give you three quick points. The first point I want to give you is, is that your mouth is a producer. Your mouth is a producer. He who controls the language controls the argument. Controls the language, controls the argument. Twice now, California has voted to keep marriage between a man and a woman. Twice we've voted. Twice it's been voted. And, and right now, you know, we, we, this kind of, you know, it's gone to the high court, the Supreme Court and everything else. And, and uh, is, you know, trying to overturn it and everything else. But, but twice the, the popular vote of the people was, was the, it's between a man and a woman. That's the popular vote. And the reason it, it kind of didn't really fly is because, you know, same-sex marriage was the original, and that, that kind of didn't fly. And so, so then they tried, you know, well, you know, gay marriage was the next one. Soften it down a little bit, you know, gay, happy, happy, gay. You know, try, try that one. Try, let's tweak the language a little bit, but that one didn't fly either. So, so now I'm not sure what you would have seen, but you would have seen little bumper stickers and everything. It's, it's you know, it's about equality, marriage equality. And so, so, so the, the language that you're hearing outside the doors right now, oh, America has changed. America's mores have changed. America's morals have changed. Oh, America's become progressive, Al. America's developed, Steve. No, 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 it's, 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 it's got, no, America's still the same. It's just, you know, marriage equality. Oh, hey, are you for inequality? What? No, no. Uh, I mean, who in their right mind is going to be for, I'm, I'm, I, I want inequality. Inequality, no, no. Let's have no equality. Inequality. I'm for. No one's going to be for. But whoever controls the language, come on, somebody. You're just around here. They've got a couple of places called the Gentlemen's Club. He who controls the language, can I just tell you, gentlemen, don't go to a gentleman's club. The Gentleman's Club. It's not a gentleman's club. It's anything but a gentleman. Gentlemen don't treat women like that. Planned Parenthood. Whoever controls the language. Planned Parenthood was started by Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was a racist. Just let me just throw that out there. I'm already out there. So I'll just keep throwing. She was a racist. She decided that uh, they were going to put abortion clinics in strategic parts of cities, in strategic cities, to eliminate a particular race of people that she called undesirables to prevent them from breeding. It shouldn't be called planned parenthood. It should be called prevented parenthood because that's their agenda. But again, it's the, the devil sometimes is smarter than us as the church because he, he knows the Word of God. He doesn't live it. He just knows it. And he knows that whoever controls the language, come on, somebody, controls the argument. We've got to get better at, contr at controlling the argument. Feminism. I would just love to see a feminine feminist. I just love I've been on the planet 45 years. I've yet to see one. And... 
ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, the American Civil Liberties Union, 96% of Americans say they, they celebrate and enjoy Christmas, and yet the American Civil Liberties Unit, Union for the last 10 years has made a war on Christmas. You can't have a Christmas tree in Central Park. You can't have a Christmas tree in Times Square. You can't have a Christmas tree, you, you know, Christmas tree. Like Christmas, are you serious? You're so upset about it when 96% of Americans say they love, enjoy, and sell. You don't lie. You're not for American civil. There's nothing civil. Uh, you're trying to take liberties away, not protect the liberties that we have. But we live in a world where, where the, the devil understands if he can control the language, he can control the argument. So let me give you three quick points. Number one, your mouth is a producer. Your mouth is a producer. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life is in the power of the tongue and those who love it shall eat its fruit. Those who love it shall eat its fruit. Your mouth is producing fruit. But the Bible teaches there's two kinds of fruit that your mouth can be producing. It can producing, be producing death or it can be producing life. The Bible says that the weak say, I am strong. The way to bring shift and the way to bring change in your life, firstly, is to begin with your mouth. I'm not sure if you realize this, but authority in the Scripture always begins with yourself. Authority always begins with yourself. Okay, you look like you need some explain. For example, let's imagine you are trying to tell the boss that, that he should put you over this new project. He should, he should actually give you responsibility over, you know, an entire branch of, you know, whatever corporation you work for. He should entrust you with this responsibility. But you can't get to work on time. You, you, you can't exercise authority over your own. You don't have authority over your alarm clock, but you want him to. And he's thinking, no, no, authority begins with yourself. If you can't get yourself dressed, if you can't get yourself in a chair, why would I give you dominion over this much when you can't be dominion over? If you can't have dominion and authority over yourself, why would I put you over? So authority always begins with self. Can somebody say amen? And so you need to understand that everything rises and falls on self, on self, on self. I was just reading in my quiet time this week, I was reading in Genesis again where, where God takes the, the rib out of, you know, Adam's side and he makes the woman and brings the woman to Adam. And, uh, and I felt God say the reason that I did that was so that if Adam started piping off and complaining about problems with Eve, she's not listening to me, she's rebellious, she's insubordinate, you know, she spent too much on the credit card again, whatever it is, Whatever it is, he has to look within himself to bring the change because she actually came from within himself. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, she shall be called because she came out of. And, and so what I've discovered in marriage is whenever there's conflict, we, I can play the blame game. But it's amazing how many people I've met over the years, they think if they just substitute partners, if they just change the partners, every, only, to, only to discover that you took your bad self with your issues, with your baggage, with all your stuff into the next world and ruin that and then into the next one. That's why, you know, first marriage, 
marriages, 48% divorce. Next one is 64%. Next one is 73%. It doesn't get, get better. It gets worse. Why? Because we refuse to learn that it's actually our issues. It's actually our job. We've got to look inside ourselves. Can somebody say amen? So, so the first place that things have got to change, if you're saying, man, you know what, Pastor? I'm not happy with my world. I'm not happy with my life. It's got to begin to change with your mouth. You'll find that your mouth is a producer. The Bible says in Romans 10.10 10, that confession is made unto salvation. Now you're going to find here at church that we're going to talk, tell, talk to you about being an engaging church. We're an engaging church. And, and so some of you, if you're new here, can say, well, I just think, you know, that C3 church, they're all about hype. They're trying to hype people up. Can I tell you, it's, it's, actually, it's not about hype. Well, you know, pastor, the reason I'm quiet is because I'm listening. I'm intently listening. That's why I'm quiet. But can I just tell you, it's only church where you're quiet listening. When you're watching, when, when, you're, when, you, when you're watching the Chargers and they're winning 28 to 7. 28 to flipping 7. And then the other team scores 24 unanswered points. You're not sitting quietly. You're yelling at flipping Philip Rivers. Don't throw it to oh my God. You're yelling at the screen. You're engaged. You're involved. When who wants to be a millionaire comes on, you're yelling the answer. You're like, oh, the guy's an idiot at sea. Napoleon, the battle of war. The guy's an idiot. What's wrong with it? And, and you're engaged. Be smarter than a fifth grader. You're engaged. The news, the news comes on and somebody says, oh, get me a private eye. And you get it. But then we come to church. Oh. Can I tell you, church is, see, if you just listen, you just kind of get like a, but, but if you actually get involved, it's not about hyping you up, but I find you get an experience. When we, when, you know, when Mike Clark here has taken me to the Chargers game, man, we're cheering and screaming. I haven't even started yet. It's just the hot dogs are that good. But I find I come back, I didn't just watch a game, I experienced the game. I experienced it, and my language tells a story. You say, how'd it go? We won! We? You know, the whole church said, what do you mean we? You were just sitting up in the grandstand eating hot dogs. I you know, we won, but you know, they, you know, they lost. Now, you know, we lost we, but because I, I feel like I'm part of it. Come on, somebody. So you need to understand church is a participation sport. Put your pads on, your helmet on, mouth guard in and, and get ready to participate. Come on, somebody. I reckon, I reckon church would be much more fun if we're engaging. So just talk about that. All right, really quickly, one, one of the things that we see all the way through the Old Testament that I believe is the first thing we've got to take dominion over is in the area of complaining. In the area of complaining. My pastor in Australia says complaining is the language of victims. You and I aren't called to be victims. You and I are called to be victors. But even more than that, let me soften that little, a little bit. Complaining is the confession of injustice. Whenever we complain, it's because whether we realize it or not, we, we are confessing that an injustice has happened, something unjust, something unfair. Oh, man, I can't believe the prices. Of, you know, it's unfair. They've put the gas prices up again. Oh, you know, Bush and he's... And, you know, we complain. We, but the, the problem with complaining is that, that, we're, that whenever you speak, you, you set in motion external forces 
that, that begin to draw towards you and say, if you're, if you're complaining about injustice, all that you're going to do is attract to yourself more injustice. God says the breakthrough comes by flipping it around. Let the weak say, I am strong, but I don't feel strong. It doesn't matter. Just begin to say it. In Isaiah 54, the Bible says, sing, O barren, and you who have not born, for more are the children of the desolate woman than her who is with child. Here is a woman unable to conceive, desperately needing a breakthrough and God says to her sweetheart sing begin to sing because what you sing about you will bring about because your mouth is a producer don't sing you pick the fine time to leave me Lucy four hungry children in a crop in a field I had some bad times don't sing that stuff don't sing song yesterday Oh, my trouble seems so far away. Now it looks as... Don't sing that stuff. Your mouth has power. Your mouth is a producer. Can somebody say amen? In Exodus 14, 12 to 14, I don't really have time to, to get there. Moses is standing at the Red Sea. Behind him is the Egyptian army desert cliffs or everything around him and, and and the bible says the children of israel when they when they see the, the the dust cloud in the in the background they can feel the earth rumbling and as they look the chariots are being driven with fierceness the bible says pharaoh whoosh, 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 driving the chariots this is the most powerful army on planet earth at that particular time and here are the children of Israel they are they have been slaves for 400 years 10 generations of slaves they have no weapons they have no defense they are completely exposed completely vulnerable and they're standing they've got a sea in front of them and they've got their they've got their the Egyptian army coming up behind them and the bible says they begin to cry out to Moses and they said to Moses is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here in the wilderness to die. This is what makes a person a leader. It's not your degree. It's not your experience. It's not your qualifications. It's not your breeding or your, up, your upbringing or your background. It's your language. Moses says to the children of Israel, Egyptian army coming up behind, Red Sea in front. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For this day, the Lord will fight for you. The enemy that you see today, you will see no more. In the midst of that, that was his confession. Then the Bible says he slipped away and went, God! But you know what God says? God says, why... Do you cry out to me? Stretch out your staff and part the waters. Why are you praying? Why are you stretch out? Just take authority. Exercise dominion. It's amazing when the waters parted, they all went through on dry land. When they get to the other side, God says to Moses, now that the Egyptians are coming in after, he says, stretch your rod over and cover them up. In one day, God completely removed, 
that which stretched out its hand to touch the Lord's anointed was snuffed out in one day. In one day, Egypt went from the most powerful dominant force, the most powerful military nation on the planet, to the weakest, most vulnerable defensive nation in one day because she dared to strike out against the Lord's anointed. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says all the people lifted up their voices and began to praise God. And they began to sing the song of Moses, horse and rider, thou hast thrown down the chariot and its horsemen thou hast drowned in the sea and they began to sing until they came they were singing all the way till they came to Mara and Mara means bitter when they came to this place and they decided Moses God and and they get there and they start complaining again there's no water here why did you bring it did you bring it out here to, to die God just opened a flipping sea and you're complaining. And so Moses again sees a vision of a tree. And he takes a tree and puts it in there. And the water's clear. And, and they're complaining about God's uh, uh, you know, lack of oversight. And God is not providing. But the Bible says when they came to the waters of Marah, there are 12 tribes of Israel. There just happened to be 12 wells. There just happened to be 12. And they got 70 elders. And there were 70 palm trees. Somebody's not looking closely. See, because when you're, when you're, when, when, if you have a complaining spirit, God's provision can be right in front of you and you don't recognize it because you're blinded by what your mouth is producing. Come on, somebody. Your mouth is a producer. I said your mouth is a producer. Joshua has the, Joshua has the, the, the massive undertaking of becoming Moses' successor. Moses had a stick. I mean, he had, that's it. Snake, you know, it's, it's awesome. Stick parts Red Seas, water comes out of rocks, you know. And then God says to Joshua, Joshua, you're the guy. If I, if I was Joshua, I'd be like, do I get a stick? I want a stick too, man. Give me a stick, you know. And God's like, no, no stick for you. Oh, come on, man. And, you know, Joshua's like, you know, a whole lot younger than Moses. And come on, man. And God's like, no, you know, not for you. you you're not having a stick. God says, instead, Joshua 1, verse 8, be strong, be courageous. Meditate in my word day and night. Watch this. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Like keep my word in your mouth. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Can I just tell you, if you will put God's word in your mouth, if you will speak out of the word, if you will speak out of obedience to the word, if you will speak out of faith with the word, not out of feelings, not out of emotions, the way to shipwreck and bankrupt your life is to speak out of emotion. The Bible talks about Hymenius and these other guys who have shipwrecked their faith, whose God is their belly. That word belly in the Greek literally means their emotions because they're always speaking out of their emotion, always speaking about you are overwhelmed by the circumstance. If that's what you're confessing, whenever you confess that, you you're confessing that, that God is not big enough to overcome. You've got to start changing what is coming out. Your mouth is a producer. Let the weak say, I am. So let the poor say, I am rich. Begin to change what is coming out of your mouth. Can somebody say amen? All right, really quickly. The, oh, my gosh. Last two points. All right, number two is your heart is a determiner. So your mouth is a producer, but our heart, so these are three keys to dominion. Understand that your heart is a determiner. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is the man. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is the man. It's not as, as, as the car the man drives, so is the man. As the suit the man has on, so is the man. 
As the man brags about himself, so is the man. That's not what it says. It says, as the man thinks in his heart. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. For out of it spring the issues of life, or literally, it is the wellspring of life. So you've got to guard what is going into your heart. The Bible says when Mary saw the different things about Jesus, turning water into wine, that she pondered those things in her heart. She, she meditated on, she, she reflected upon those things in her, her heart. If you put God things in your heart, you're going to find God things are going to be produced out of your life. For as a man thinks in his heart, your heart determines your future. Romans 10.10 again says that with the heart one believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So your heart begins to shape what you believe. In, uh, in Joshua chapter 14 verse 8, uh, I think it's... I think it's actually Numbers 14, verse 8. It shouldn't be Joshua. It talks about how, um, uh, no, it is jo Joshua 14, verse 8. Caleb says that the negative confession of the ten spies made the heart of the people melt. The, the negative words that they heard, that the, the land is full of giants. We were like grasshoppers in there. So we were like grasshoppers in there. So we're not able to go in there. The Bible says when all the children of Israel heard that, hurt, that word, their heart began to melt. You need to understand you've got to guard your heart. That's why it's so important to be in the house of God. That's why it's so important to be in church. That's why it's so important, <coughs> excuse me, to, to be in a place that I honestly believe. And look, we, we, I'm never going to get up here and tell you that we've got a corner on the market of truth or anything like that. But for goodness sake, when you hear people preaching that God is you know, putting judgment on this one so that people's hearts will turn, the Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. God judged the world by putting the judgment of the world on Jesus Christ. Right now, you and I live in a dispensation of grace that Jesus Christ has been judged on your behalf and on my behalf. But the Bible says if any man rejects that and doesn't want to be there, then the wrath of God remains upon him. But you don't have to have the wrath of God remain upon you because the wrath of God came upon His only Son 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's where judgment happened. You need to be in a place where you're hearing messages that God is for you, where hope is beginning to permeate your heart, where faith is beginning to permeate. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is the man. So is the man. We live in an age right now where, you know, it's politically incorrect for, for us to say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Because, oh, you can't say that. Equality. What about all the other religions? Oh, that's typical. You Christians, you, you like to belittle every other religion and exalt you. Well, no other religion had anybody dying on a cross. For goodness sake, they couldn't lift Buddha up on one to start with. Oh, Sarge, we broke another cross. <laughs> Jesus hung on a cross. God himself came and hung on a cross to deliver you, to rescue you and I. And, we, and, and let me tell you, like, what, what you believe shapes what you perceive. And what you perceive determines what you, what you, what you perceive determines what you receive. So, so... What a man thinks in his life, if you think that you're just a worm, if you think that, well, you know, in this life, the, the, the tragedy of going to India, and that's why, that's why I'm, a, I'm a, an absolute proponent for evangelism and just fooey to the people who say, oh, you know, you, sh you shouldn't, you know, put, force your religion or preach your religion or other people. It, just shut up. Get out of your library. 
you know, get away from being in front of the temple. Go to India and have a look at the caste system. Go and look at the, the way those people live in a caste system. They live in unbelievable suffering, unbelievable poverty, and they don't do anything about it, and nobody helps them because you don't want to help them because they believe the reason they're suffering is because they've committed crimes or done something or they're a nasty person in a previous life. That's why they were born into this life with poverty, and you helping them is actually harming them. You giving them money or bread or medical treatment or compassion is, is helping them. No, it's not. It's harming them because the way if, if they can suffer, the next cycle, the next reincarnation, they come back as something a little bit better. Maybe they come back as a cow, or but at least not a sufferer. And, and so there's this entire system, but it's all corrupt and it's all back because of what people believe in their heart. That's why we've got to go and preach the gospel. No, you're a child of God. You don't have to live in poverty. That there is a God who wants to rescue you, wants to deliver you. You're the head, not the tail. You're above, not beneath. God is for you, not against you. If Christ is in you, man, there's no force that can stand against you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The God God can help you to do all things through Christ who gives you strength. We've got to start preaching the gospel. Can somebody say amen? But I'm telling you, you've got to be in the house of God. You've got to be in the Word of God, letting the Word of God just begin to shape your heart. Let God begin to move in your heart. Can somebody say amen? And I am out of time. Last verse I want to give you is Psalm 119, verse 9 and 11. I love this. It says, how can a young man cleanse his way? And it says, by taking heed according to your word. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 1, the very first psalm that I believe encapsulates all the psalms, says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands not pondering the path of the sinner and sits not in the seat of the scornful seat of the scornful is where you, you've crossed the line so far you've stopped walking in the things of God you've started pondering other paths but now you're sitting in the seat of the scornful and you're just critical you're critical of this and that doesn't measure up and this isn't good enough you're just sitting in the seat of the scornful but the Bible says blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night the word meditate literally means ponders by talking to himself. In fact, it's the, it's the word that, that close, most closely describes in Hebrew the, the digestive process of a cow, believe it or not. When a cow takes grass, it chews it into a cud. And whether you realize this or not, but a cow has four stomachs. And the, the, the cow will sw swallow the cud and it'll go into the first stomach. And then it comes up and then the cow will be, continue to chew it. It'll swallow it again now into the second stomach and bring it up. Until, and finally it produces milk. It has to go through an entire process. And the Bible teaches us that that's the word that's used for meditate. When we meditate, it's, it's, we bring it back up again. It doesn't have a good taste in my mouth, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, man, I've got to change that. I've got to change that. But eventually it begins to bring nourishment into your life. Eventually it begins to produce something that other people can feed off and be blessed off and be nourished themselves. Our mouth is a producer. Our heart is a determiner. The third one was our mind is a shaper, but we'll do that one another time. Your mind shapes. When you were born, you came out head first. The way that you go from where you are right now into the next level is you've got to change the way you think. If you're in a confined, dark place, you were in a confined dark place many years ago, but then you came out into a much, but you came out head first. You'll find that it's always a change of thinking here 
that determines an enlargening out there. God has ordained that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we are called as your sons and daughters to exercise dominion. To exercise dominion. But Father, that dominion rises and falls on what we do with Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ in your heart? Is Jesus Christ in your life? The greatest thing I ever did, friend, was 28 years ago, I invited Christ to come into my heart. I invited Christ to be Lord of my life. And I've got to tell you, Jesus began to just do, my Lord, He, he, <laughs> he had a massive renovation job to, to undertake. He had to renovate the way that I spoke. He had to renovate what I believed in my heart. And He had to renovate how I thought in my mind. But I found as over the years, 28 years later, I've decided that I'm going to speak His Word over my own feelings and emotions. I'm going to put His Word in my heart. I'm going to let His Word begin to shape the inner man that I am. And then I'm going to have His thoughts rather than my thoughts. Do you know Jeremiah 29, 11? God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Good thoughts, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. God is thinking thoughts towards you. He's not just thinking thoughts about you. He is thinking thoughts towards you. He's hoping that the thoughts that He thinks towards you today would stick. He's hoping that just one of them would, would stick in your mind because He knows the power of His thoughts. And His thoughts are good thoughts, not evil to give you a future and a hope. We live in a generation that is steeped in hopelessness. People afraid of the future. People not even sure if they've got a future. People that believe that a future is uncertain. But can I tell you, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you don't need to go to a fortune teller to discover the future because when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're holding hands with somebody who holds the future in His hands. And you can know that you've got a great future. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, friend, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're here and you're away from Christ. Maybe you stepped away, walked away, turned away, fell away. Whatever, you just know that you're away from Him. That in between you and, and Christ, there's just a gulf. You need to come back today. Or maybe you're just here and you're just far from God. Friend, life's too short to live far from God. Jesus did not die on a cross so that you and God could be distant from each other. Jesus died on the cross to connect heaven to earth, earth to heaven, God to man, man to God. God to you, you to God. That's why He died. So if you're one of those three categories, you've never given your life, you once did, but you're away, or you're hearing just far, and you don't want to leave the same way you came in, would you quickly raise your hand and say, Pastor Jurgs, I'm one of those three people you described. Would you pray for me? And I'd love to pray. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Who else is there? There's somebody else. Thank you through there. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Thank you in there, sweetie. I see that hand. Who else is there? Would you raise your hand? Thank you up there. I do see that hand. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. Thank you, sweetie. I see your hand. There's still somebody else. I can feel it. Thank you, sweetheart. I see your hand. Who else is there? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you over there on the side. I see your hand. Is there somebody else? I'd love to pray for you. Somebody else? I'd love to pray for you. Somebody up there? Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Is there somebody else? I'd love to pray for you. Love to pray for you. I am out of time right now, and so... Uh, I don't want anybody to miss out, but I do need to bring this to, to a close. Is it one more person? Your life's not right with God. There's one more person. Your life's away from God. 
I just feel there's somebody here and you're just feeling like you're just not good enough. You're not even good enough to raise your hand. You're not even good enough to come to God. Like you're so far, you've done so much wrong that first you've actually got to go and you've got to get things ordered and you've got to clean yourself up. Friend, I don't get clean to hop in the bath. I get in the bath to get clean. Jesus, let him do it. Let him do it. We can't clean ourselves up ever. Holy enough, good enough to be perfect, to get into heaven. We have to humble ourselves and let Jesus do it. Who, who is that person today? You just, feel, you just feel like you just, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Love to pray. I'm out of time. But if there's just one more person, your life's not right. So many people have raised their hands. Thank you, sweetheart. I see your hand. Somebody else. Fantastic. Hands going up everywhere. This is what we're going to do in just a moment. With those of you that raise your hands, would you let me to do something really practical, powerful, and personal? Would you let me come down off this stage? Would you let me shake your hand and pray with you? I'm going to have the band are going to sing a song and the rest of the congregation that they'll be worshiping. But those of you that raise your hands, would you do something? Would you grab a friend that you're sitting with or if you're sitting with someone that raised their hand, would you offer to, to, to find the aisle closest to you and, and walk down and, and meet me down here and just let me say a prayer person. There were so many of you that it's just practically impossible for me to get to each one of you. So I just want you to come and meet me halfway down here. I want to pray with you. And I believe that today is going to be the beginning of a brand new day. So church, why do we stand to our feet? Let's put our hands together for those that are raising hands.